the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Join us now for a very special parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and The Word to Stand On for Life on AM 630, The Word. This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It was a night, 17 or almost 17 years ago, that, that literally changed the future of my family's life. My son Ronnie was affected and is still affected in some degree by the events that happened on that night. It, it was a night where the Lord showed me, an unbeliever at the time, something that I would be doing Dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds of times in the future, something I never could have dreamed. But it was just one of those nights that is every parent's nightmare. My son Ronnie had a friend at 16 years old whose name was Scott. Scott was one of those kids that you just couldn't help but to like. He always had one of those I'm going to get in trouble looks on his face. But, but he had a way about him and you just had to love him. He was outgoing, he was funny, he had just enough orneriness in him to, to make him really interesting. And, and you wondered sometimes what he was up to with your son, but at the same time you knew it couldn't be too awfully bad. We didn't know his parents very well, we only knew them casually, but, but Scott was at our house all the time. My son talked to Scott about 2.30 or 3 o'clock that afternoon, and there was no indication that anything whatsoever was wrong. About 4.30, we got a call that Scott had killed himself. We had to tell our son. And not knowing what to do at the time, we just went over to the house that was in our neighborhood. And I remember looking at Scott's dad as people were gathering outside, and I remember just looking at him and feeling such pain for him. And he looked at me, and again, we didn't know each other very well, but, but all of a sudden, he came running to me, he put his arms around me, I put my arms around him, and he just began to cry. And shortly after, he gained his composure just a little bit, but, but at that moment, they pulled his son out on a gurney in a body bag. And he looked at his son being put into the coroner's wagon and said, Ron, that's my son in there. And he grabbed me again and he began to cry. It was at that moment. And it wasn't one of those things where an angel of the Lord appeared or anything. But, but I knew I would be doing that. I mean, it was just so unusual. This stranger in my arms in the middle of the worst crisis that's imaginable. And yet he's coming to me for comfort. I didn't have anything to say. Again, I didn't know the Lord then. I, I was worried about my son. I, I could see all of the other kids, many of whom that we knew. I could see them gathering together, and I was worried about them, but I couldn't let him go. And, of course, since that time, I have held many in that condition in my arms, but now having an answer. And I begin with Scott's example tonight, because Scott's family were Christians. 
They knew the Lord. Scott, we are convinced, was a saved young man, but he was a troubled young man. And he was one of those kids who had convinced his parents that he didn't need much supervision. And in the weeks to come, we would talk to the Tapmans, and they would let us know they wished they had dug just a little bit deeper into the things that were going on. You see, they had no idea that Scott, at 16, was an alcoholic. They had no problem that he was experimenting with pills and some things that, that, that they couldn't possibly imagine their son would be involved with. They didn't know that he was having problems with his girlfriend in a recent breakup led him to such depression that he could never quite get over it. They didn't know about those things. And, and guys, the point is, tonight, we need to know what's going on in our child's lives. We need to know what makes them tick. We need to be able to recognize difficulties that they're experiencing and for many of us, it begins with simply watching by supervising stewardship over your children, the children that God has made you responsible for. When I grew up, my mom had only one rule regarding my supervision. I was a pretty good kid, or at least that's what she thought. The rule was this, Ronnie, be where you said you would be, and if you're not going to be there, call me and let me know where you're going to be. Now, now, don't misunderstand. My mom never checked up on me. She trusted me. It was a huge mistake. But, but that was the only rule. So all I had to do was call her and say, well, you know, I told you I was going to be over there, but now I'm going to be over here. And that was the end of it. And I could pretty much come and go as I pleased. If I told her I was going to stay all night at a friend's house, she didn't call to make sure that's where I was. She simply trusted me. Again, I want to emphasize that for her was a huge mistake. Now, I wasn't a bad kid. I never drank. I hated the taste. And I was around a lot of kids who drank, and they always threw up. And I hated that even worse. Physically, even to this day, I can't throw up. My body won't let me do it. So I knew drinking was out. My total experimentation with drugs consisted of a single puff on a marijuana joint one time, and I felt so out of control, so hazy, I thought, no, no, I don't like that feeling. So drugs were never an issue with me either. But I did do a lot of things that I shouldn't have done, things I wish I hadn't done. I was sexually active as a teen, and I also got involved in some very dangerous situations. Even back then, God was watching out over me. But if someone would have told my mom what I was doing, if someone would have told my mom the things that I was involved in, and by the way, my dad wasn't involved. That was a huge failure on his part. It is a man's job in the house to be the leader. But my mom trusted me, and if somebody would have told her the things that I was doing, she would have called them a liar. And the reason she would have called them a liar is because I was smart enough to cover my tracks. I was able to hide my secrets from her. And the reason, guys, is because I had no supervision. It is tragic but true that we live in a time where it's fashionable to let your children make their own decisions about important things about the clothing they want to wear, about the people they want to hang out with, about the churches that they want to go to or whether or not they even want to go to church. Just recently a mother in this church pointed to her teenage son on a Sunday morning and said, and I don't need to mention names, he finally came to church with me, Pastor Ron. Isn't that wonderful? I normally can't get him to agree to come with me, but today he agreed. And I walked away thinking I really need to call her and talk to her. Why is it the young man's choice? Why do we give those kind of decisions to children, whether they're 6 or 16 or somewhere in between? Why do we allow those decisions to be made, the decisions about important things? We say, well, I want to give them some rope or I want to give them some freedom. I want them to learn to be independent. Parents will see in our study tonight that that is a terrible mistake. We're told by those in our culture, by the American Psychologists Association, by many other groups, that trust is vital to a healthy parent-child relationship. 
We're told that your children need to be given space and freedom. We're told that parents should not violate their children's space and that we shouldn't put too many demands on them. That You know, they, they need to go through rebellious phases, that they need to have some time just to stew, that they need to have some time alone with their own thoughts, unencumbered by the parents, the adults around them. Well, this study tonight is about, as you know by now, stewardship or supervision. And we're going to see, as I mentioned a few moments ago, that those observations simply are not observations from God's Word. So what boundaries should a parent allow a child to set? Just how much freedom should we give our children? I'm telling you tonight from experience not to give them too much freedom. And whatever freedom you do give them must be freedom they've earned. Trust isn't given. Trust is earned. So let's get started. Do you believe it? Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled, Paul says. And a lot of times as parents, every time our child gets something or does something wrong or gets in trouble, our first response is, it must have been the fault of the kids they're hanging around with. Certainly it's not my child. The truth of the matter is it may be your child who's doing the corrupting. But, but it's a principle, scripturally, that needs to be dealt with in this matter of stewardship or supervision. The point is that we end up acting like the people we associate with. We end up acting like those things that influence us, our friends, our companions. And I don't simply mean people by companions. We're going to see tonight, we're going to talk about a lot of very touchy issues. Guys, a lot of people don't even know their children's friends. It's especially dangerous in a Christian environment. I remember when I wanted to date Rhonda Newsham. She was the hot cheerleader in high school, and I wanted to go out with her, and I think she wanted to go out with me, and so I asked her out, and here's what she said. Well, you know, my mom, she's pretty strict. You need to ask her. So I did. Mrs. Newsham, she was friendly. I knew her. We had a casual relationship because she was always hanging around the sports activities. And so, Mrs. Newsham, how are you doing? You know, when I was just talking to Rhonda the other day, and I really would like to ask her out on a date, and she told me to ask you, what do you think? you think it's okay? I think we'd have a good time. And here's what she said. She said, Ron, I'm sure you're a nice young man, but my daughter's a Christian, and I only allow her to date Christians. Well, being the enterprising young man that I am, I found Rhonda alone, and I said, Rhonda, let me ask you a question. Where do you go to church? The answer was Pomona First Baptist Church. So that next Sunday, I became a member of Pomona First Baptist Church. A couple weeks there, Mrs. Newsham looked at me and she said, Oh, you're such a nice young man. It's okay now if you date my daughter because, after all, you're in church, she's in church. What could go wrong? Oh, she was so wrong. She was so wrong. And sometimes we are deceived in a Christian environment thinking, Hey, you know, what can go wrong here? Keep that in mind, not only for the rest of tonight's study, but as we enter next week's study as well. I told you tonight we're going to talk about some very touchy subjects. We're going to talk about kids being left alone while parents are working. We're going to talk about monitoring video games, TVs, watching movies, and computer access. We're going to talk about children's privacy and whether or not they have a right to privacy in their rooms. We're going to talk about private phone conversations and whether or not they should be permitted to have them, and sleepovers, including those sleepovers that we think nothing of at relatives' homes. So let's get started. I'm sure there will be other issues that you have in mind, but the principles are going to work for them all. All of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, all of the people in your child's life have an influence on who your child turns out to be. The amount of time they spend with other people helps develop their character, whether that character is good or bad. The amount of time they spend watching TV or on the computer, the people that they develop crushes on with the opposite sex. All these things are companions for your children, and all of them, as I said, influence behavior. It's important. In fact, it is essential for parents to monitor a child's choices. Would you turn quickly to Numbers chapter 30 in the Old Testament? Way back toward the beginning of the Bible, Numbers chapter 30, God lays out a principle. Remember, God the Father is our example for parenting. And here's the principle he lays out. Verse 3, Numbers chapter 30, 
If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, the principle works exactly the same for young men. And her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. Here's the key verse. But if her father overrules her, would you underline that please? Overrules her. On the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Now, it's very clear that God understands that a lot of times young people make vows, they make commitments, rash commitments that they have no business making. Commitments that they're not ready to complete, commitments that they don't understand the depth of. And it is a parent's job in the Old Testament, it's a parent's job today in this dispensation of grace to monitor your child's choices, to monitor their commitments, and to exercise parental judgment and authority if necessary to overrule those judgments, the poor ones. If your child makes good judgments, what do we do? We encourage them, we help them, we come alongside them. That's what God does for us. But I promise you, if you make a bad decision, your Father in Heaven overrules a decision. It's happened to me dozens of times in my life as a Christian. And so the principle is it's a parent's job to overrule, and let me just say it very bluntly, the young, the dumb, the immature things that a child does. Now, before getting into the issues that we're going to talk about specifically, I want to be very clear about something at this point in our time together. I'm not tonight in any way advocating that your children should be sheltered from the things in this world. Paul says we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Guys, your children, it's as important for them to be light, to be salt and light in the darkness of this world as it is for us as adults. Your children should be in the process at home and at church of being equipped to be a light for Jesus Christ, to be a witness for the Lord wherever they go. God needs radically sold out young people to share the good news about Jesus Christ everywhere they go. Just as he needs us, adults, he needs children. And if we try to protect our kids from any exposure to evil, if we try to shelter our children from all of the things that might potentially be damaging to them, well, we're going to end up with kids who don't know what's out there and how to deal with it when, in fact, they have to go out into the world. If we shelter them, they'll be ineffective as witnesses. And I've seen far too many Christian parents try to protect their kids from any negative exposures at all. And those kids end up leaving home to go to college or they end up getting a job because they just need some extra money one summer. And with their first taste of freedom, they go absolutely nuts. And so our job as parents isn't to shelter them. Our job as parents is to prepare them to be a light for Christ in the world. And we do that the same way Christ prepares us. A little bit at a time, testing them, watching them, loving them, and being an example to them. I'm talking about training and protecting. Now, there's one other problem that I want to address at the beginning before getting into this subject as well. The problem is that there are too many of us as parents who are late, too late, in getting started. Our kids, some of them, are already out of control. Our children are already watching stuff they shouldn't be watching. They're already, some of them, hanging around with or are friends with people they shouldn't be around. Too many of our children have for a long time been permitted to watch movies they shouldn't see. And too many of our children are already experienced with unsupervised Internet access. But it's never too late to start. As a Christian parent, knowledge is accountability. And to let things continue because, well, you know, what am I going to do? They're teenagers now, is to abdicate your responsibility before God as a parent. You know, it's perfectly acceptable. In fact, it is great for a parent to say to their children, you know what, things are going to change around here now. 
your father and I, or if you're a single parent, I want to serve Jesus Christ. This house belongs to him, and I know I'm going to stand before God accountable for the way I raised you. So today we start doing things differently. Will your children love it? Absolutely not. Will they resist and some of them rebel? The truth is that they will. But that doesn't mean that you're not to be faithful and diligent in representing the Lord rightly. The moment you know the right things to do, you're accountable to God to do them. It's also, incidentally, absolutely okay. In fact, it is a wonderful thing for parents to supervise their children's choice of friends. God will give you discernment. You know, in all of the years that kids came to our home, and our home was the place all of our son's friends gathered, in all of those years, there was only one kid that when... He was brought home by one of our sons. Paula looked and said, you know, you're not going to hang out with that kid. Oh, come on, that's not fair. Why don't you like him? You didn't give him a chance. And you know what? Parents don't need a reason. God will give you discernment. Trust your instincts. And it turned out in that particular case to be a very wise choice that Paula made. You see, we have experience in things that our children don't have. And she was protecting our sons against what could be a very wicked influence. Again, trust your instincts. Hopefully, all of these problems can begin to change tonight. We have to know where they begin, and they begin sometimes in the most seemingly innocent places. Sometimes these problems often start when kids, by necessity, or at least that's how we think of it, are left at home by themselves while we're at work. Sometimes we have what the culture refers to advertising marketers refer to as latchkey children. They come home from school. They're unsupervised until mom or dad or mom and dad come home, and mostly they're teens, and we figure, well, they'll be okay for a few hours. Guys, please hear this. Any child left alone on a regular schedule can plan, can schedule their sin. And you need to understand, I remember, as old as I am, I remember with two working parents the things I did between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock when nobody was home. And if our children are left at home, they can plan their sin. I know most of us think it's going to be different with our child, that we can trust them. But here again, there's a principle to follow. Remember God the Father is our model, so what's the principle? How does he deal with us, his kids? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We'll pick it up in the middle of the verse. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's a very clear principle. If God who loves me will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able to bear, well, then isn't that the model that we should follow for our children But by leaving them alone, by leaving them unsupervised, we're placing our children in situations where temptation will overwhelm them. Most of our kids, guys, and this is a hard thing for most of us to understand, but most of our children aren't grounded solidly enough in the Bible. They're not solidly grounded enough in relationship with Jesus Christ. It hasn't yet developed in a mature way. They don't yet love Jesus enough to resist temptation. They don't yet love Jesus enough to be able to resist peer pressure, and they certainly don't love Jesus enough yet to resist the attack of the devil. If the devil is too strong for you, mom and dad, how much stronger is he for your children? And if we put them in a place where temptation is going to be there, and that temptation can overwhelm them, then we've violated the principle that God has established for you and for me in our walk as adults with God. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Wouldn't it be cruel of God to say, you know what, I think I'm going to let Ron go do something. I know he's going to fall, but you know, let's teach him a good lesson. And God the Father never, he knows everything. He never says, you know what, I trust Ron. You know, I think he can stand. I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance on him this time. He never lets us get to a place where we're going to be overwhelmed. If we find ourselves overcome by sin, it's because we put ourselves in that position against God's objection and overriding his efforts to keep us from going to that place. If we allow our children to be alone, we're not following God's model because they will, guys, they will be overcome by sin. So what do we do about it? For many, it's as simple as determining what's more important. 
your job or your child. Now, I know that sounds horrible. And we're going to talk about blended families and single parenting families in an upcoming study. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we have to make very difficult choices. We have to decide to do with less for the health of our children. And especially for those of you who are parents who started too late, you have a very limited number of years left with your children before they leave. You know, um, my kids were at home with me. I, I was not a Christian my whole life, and I blew it. When I got saved, they were 16 and 18 years of age, I had no time left for them to show them what a mistake I made in not raising them to follow the Lord. I had only weeks with my oldest son, Ronnie. He was getting ready to go away to college. I had a year and a half, almost two years, with our younger son, Terry. But every day, every day of that two years, it was all about Jesus. It was only about Jesus. So I made the most of the time. Did it wipe out 16 years of blowing it? Absolutely not. I wish it did. I have the deepest regrets, and I've shared those regrets with you. I don't do guilt. I've been forgiven. But I have deep, deep regrets. I look at your families raising kids in godly homes, and I can't tell you how jealous I am for you. Oh, how I wish I had the opportunity that so many of you do. And if your child is 13 or 14 or 15 years old and you decide now is the time to start representing Jesus, well, it's only a matter of a few years before they're out and they're on their own. And you need to make the most of that time. God won't let you get away from Him. Don't let your children get away from you. More of the parenting series with Pastor Ron Arbaugh of The Word to Stand On for Life coming up in two minutes on AM 630, The Word. Join us now for a very special parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and The Word to Stand On for Life on AM 630, The Word. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Why is it that stores are responsible to police the sales of these games? It should be the parents who are policing these games. Parents, do you know what video games your kids are playing? Or have you been caught up in that, well, everybody's playing, you know, I can't take the video games away from them? Do you even care what kind of things they're exposing themselves to? Or have you fallen into the trap yourself of when your kids are in bed, you pulling out the video games and playing them? Guys, remember that Jesus Christ never leaves you and never forsakes you. In order to pick up some of these games, you and your children have to ask him to leave the room. That's what you're doing, in effect, when you participate in playing these kind of games. Have you been sold on the idea that this is just something kids do? Let's forget for a minute that the kids are killing kids in schools all over the country. Do you remember how shocking it was when Columbine happened? It's a lot less shocking now some 11 incidents later. Where multiple children have been killed by kids influenced by video games. Let's forget that sex is so in-your-face in this culture that even children in elementary schools... Now, this is an absolute mind-blowing thing for me. When I was in elementary school, the biggest problem I had was could I trade sandwiches with somebody else at lunch? Sex is so in-your-face in this culture that even elementary school-age children are sexually active. Guys, many of these games include very graphic sex scenes, which can be unlocked only with an Internet download. Now, most parents don't know that. I promise you, your children do. Those Internet downloads are available for free. As late as September of this year, the program that did this was a program named Hot Coffee. And your children are using it. 
some of the scenes that are explained on the Internet where I was doing some of the research are such that I can't explain to you in a company like this what actually goes on. Your children are being exposed to these kind of things. Moms, dads, does Jesus want your children exposed to this kind of stuff? If the answer is no, then you've got a decision to make. What are you going to do about it? What kind of a stand are you going to take for the Lord in your own home? And I say that because God really doesn't care if your child is happy with you or not. God doesn't really care if your child thinks you're the coolest mom or dad on the planet. God only cares whether or not you are representing him rightly by loving and protecting your child. More numbers about video games. More than 9 out of 10. That is a staggering number. More than 90% of children in America play video games. And every year, enough video games are sold to put two of them in every American household. Guys, it's time that we begin supervising these games. There's some practical things that these games, problems these games are creating. Kids no longer get physical exercise. Kids should be outside playing. It should be part of what they do. Parents should force their children, go outside and run. You know, I used to have a saying, you know, I'd tease with the kids out here. They'd come in looking all tired, and I'd say, what's the matter? We were running at recess, Pastor Ron, and I'm really tired. I'd say, how can a 10-year-old be out of shape? (laughs) They are, because they don't get any exercise. They got great thumbs, (laughs) but they don't get any exercise. What is even more tragic is that children don't read anymore. Children don't read. Video games leave nothing to the imagination. When you open a book, there's magic. When you open a book, your imagination runs wild. Parents, you should be demanding that your children spend more time reading books than they do playing video games. You teach them to sit still. And yet the problem, and I don't mean to to, to make this sound like an indictment, but the problem is too many of us use the video games as a pacifier for our kids. Sit down and be quiet, and you know they will. And so you get some time to yourself, some peace and quiet, while your child is sitting there transfixed on a game. You can send them to their room to play on their computer, to play the video games, and you know that they'll be safe and okay, at least safe physically. And you can have some time to yourself. That is not a parent's job. A parent's job is to parent their children. It is tragic. The amount of reading that children today do not do. Do not do. Be wise about the books that that you choose. But please, please, please. Initiate your children to the wonders of reading. It's so important for their development. Enough on video games. You say, whew. TV is another area of concern. There should be limits about how much, about when, and what children can watch. Let's talk about how much for just a minute. How much? Do your children spend more time watching TV than they do doing homework? If not, why not? When do you allow your children to watch TV or to play video games or, for that matter, have computer access when they're not yet done with their homework? Why? Why isn't there order? Why aren't we teaching our children the priority of being responsible, the the, the need to get the work done before play begins? It's our responsibility to teach them that they have to make sacrifices as well. And what children can watch? Music, by the way, listening to music is the same principle. I won't ask, but but I could and say, okay, how many of you are quite confident that your children in the privacy of their own rooms are watching things on TV like MTV or BET or VH1? Guys, those things are vile and wicked. Open Teenage, 
homosexual activity on those channels is not at all unusual. Not to mention fornicating being pictured as not only normal and natural and okay, but being approved. You're actually cool if you do that kind of thing. And we're talking about teenagers. On my cable system, CNN is channel 35, MTV is channel 34. Because I'm a man, I flip through channels. And sometimes on the way from watching golf on channel 31 to getting to CNN on channel 35, I go through 34. I've actually in, and I'm talking about so limiting my exposure. It's like, okay, quick, you know, going through this kind of thing. I've seen on a program called Real World, two teenage boys walk into a house, strip naked, and go into the shower where you can see them through a muted glass you can tell what they're doing. Oh, MTV's okay. I've had parents tell me that. You know, the kids are watching it. You know, they, they know what's good stuff and what's bad stuff. You know what? The problem is the more they watch it, the more bad stuff becomes good stuff. It's our job, moms and dads, to keep our children from those kinds of exposures. There's a program, I can't even say the name in here. I, I probably couldn't get away with it, but I won't because I don't want to risk offending anybody. But there's a program on MTV where incredibly dangerous behavior is practiced regularly. And the kids think it's really cool. And your children are watching it. And in the home of a Christian parent, it just should not be so. By the way, parents, it does no good at all to forbid them to watch things if you yourself watch them under the cover of, well, I'm an adult, it's okay. It's rated R, I'm an adult, I'm a mature audience, it's okay. No, if you forbid them to watch something, how can it be any good for you? What kind of example are you setting? Hypocrisy is the one thing that children have radar for. And if you're not living an example that you're trying to communicate that your children should live, well, then they're simply not going to listen to you. Moms and some dads, do you watch soap operas? Don't touch my soaps, Pastor Ron. I've had people say that to me. You know why they're called soaps, by the way? When they started, they were called soap operas because soap companies were the main advertisers. They were the sponsors. And somehow we've taken soap operas and turned them into dirt operas because they're filled with sexual immorality. And it's like, well, well, I'm an adult. I understand that. It's my story, Pastor Ron. I'm kind of hooked on. It's the only one I watch. Your children know what you're doing, and what you're doing is you're approving them actually having sexual relationships. You say, no, I'm not. I tell them not to all the time. But if they see you enjoying vicariously immorality, then they're going to know that it's okay for them as well. Dads, what would your video rental history look like if we showed it on that screen here tonight at church? Another, by the way, don't trust the recommendations of other Christians. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, Pastor Ron, here's a movie you can watch. It's a great one. Oh, I cried all the way through it. I check it out on screen.com. They took God's name in vain six, seven, eight times, nine times. What does your video rental history look like or your cable per pay-per-view stuff? Somebody sitting in a computer screen, when you call in to fix the cable has access to what you're watching. I learned that very graphically after having a conversation several years ago with a lady about a problem we were having. At the end of our conversation, she said, Is this Pastor Ron? What would it have been like had my pay-per-view history been, well, let's just say filled with stuff that a Pastor Ron shouldn't be looking at? And I'm just thinking, wow, I, I, my life is not my own, but neither is yours. Let's talk about computers and the Internet. 
standard rule of thumb. There should be absolutely no debate. Now, I know people can say, well, I don't like not having choices. I don't care. One password known only by mom and dad should be the only rule. The only rule. To give your child, young or in the teen years, Internet access on their own, unsupervised, is to invite trouble and sin into your child's life. The Internet is a wonderful treasure of information, but it is also a pit where your children can be destroyed. It is to me inconceivable that any child, young or older, would be permitted to have unsupervised access to the Internet. It is more than a dangerous thing. Your computers in your home should be set up in family space, open for anyone who walks by to see. To allow your children to have computers in their room with doors closed makes no sense at all. You should buy software that allows you to monitor all of the websites your children visit on the computer that only you have the access to. Your kids are very computer savvy. Most adults, at least many my age in particular, are not. But there is software out there and there are people who can help you outsmart your children. <laughs> and you need to take advantage of what's available. Instant messaging and email should be supervised and no child should ever be permitted in a chat room or on a blog with strangers. Ever. Ever. But there's more. Check your computer history regularly. And again, the programs are available that let you know exactly what websites your child visits. Learn and be in control. And don't be afraid to cancel computer privileges. Privileges. It's not a right. It's a privilege for violations. Email should have parental controls. And you need a good filter to prevent your child from landing in dangerous websites or on blogs. And again, by the way, many of your children have probably already set up their own blog sites without your knowledge and are visiting others. Your children are exposed to text messaging from people you don't know who it is. Most of the time you're paying for it because it's minutes on your cell phone. And you need to be aware of these things and you need to be in control of these things. And that privacy in their rooms. Standard rule of thumb. And this was a rule in my house even before I was saved. As long as I was paying the mortgage, my children didn't have a room. I allowed them to use a space in my room. And that, I think, is very important. Doors should be open and access by parents should be unquestioned. Why does your child need privacy from you? Well, because they need to grow, because they need to learn to be independent. No, when they have privacy, when they're looking to hide things from you, guys, they're hiding things because they're not good things. And it's your job to know what they're up to. When the child begins paying for a room, then you will stop going into that room in their own home. It's your room and not theirs. Now, this is going to be very unpopular, but I don't care. Diaries, journals. There are places where it's necessary for your child to be able to put their private thoughts and to express them, but, but, if you have any suspicions at all about their behavior, if you notice any changes, if your child suddenly starts dressing head to toe black, you need to snoop. If you see weight changes, if you see an unhealthy interest in members of the opposite sex, if you see people hanging around that shouldn't be there, if you notice that your child is growing distant, if you notice that your child is becoming a little bit depressed, if you suspect drug use, you need to snoop. And do so without apology. Tell your children in advance that those are the ground rules of the house. That way you're not doing anything dishonest or anything behind their back. You're simply telling them, I love you enough to protect you. 
If you give me no reason to snoop, I won't. But if you give me reason, if my mom or dad instincts start to flare up, we're going to find out what's going on. And you need not apologize for that. I can't believe you read my private thoughts. I can't believe you're doing drugs. But, but you wouldn't known it if you hadn't snooped. Well, I'm glad I did. I hope that makes sense to you. It just doesn't sound like, like, like a Gestapo or something. That's not the idea. The idea is God says to you and to me, does he not, that your sin will find you out. Protect your children the way that God protects you. Don't apologize to your children for having a healthy interest in your children's secret lives. Again, I want to emphasize I said healthy, not overzealous. Kids should not have telephones in their rooms. Cell phones should be strictly supervised. They should have limits on the time they can speak on the phone. And those conversations should occur out in full view of others in the home. Not so we can eavesdrop, but, but to discourage any conversations that shouldn't be. They should know you care that much about them. Guys, trusting your children is a good thing, but only if they're trustworthy. If you catch your children in lies, even what we would call small lies, they've lost your trust. If they want to be trusted, they have to be trustworthy. How can we know that our Father in Heaven is doing right by us when He's checking up on us? He's proven Himself trustworthy. Well, as a mom and a dad who pays the bills, as a mom and a dad who loves and supports your child and their activities, you've proven you're trustworthy, but they need to gain your trust. And if they lose it, it needs to be re-earned all over again. As a child who screams at their privacy and being invaded, as a child who's concealing something. Again, don't snoop without cause. Because we want to trust as much as we possibly can, but we need to be careful. Very quickly, and I'll go through this one because I'm running out of time. I want to talk about sleepovers. It's something that many parents do without giving it hardly a thought. We have our children stay with friends whose families we hardly know. We casually know them, even people at church. We allow them to stay sometimes with grandparents, with other relatives, cousins, some of whom are unsaved without thinking about some of the things that they'll be exposed to when our children are not supervised by us. Here are just a few things to think about, especially as it relates to relatives. And I know this is sensitive, and people are saying, well, wait a minute, blood is thicker than all this stuff. It isn't. It is the blood of Christ that we have allegiance to. Do the adults where they're staying consume alcohol? They're going to be sitting around drinking beer while your children are there. It's pretty easy for a young child or especially a teenager to be convinced that drinking is normal when they see parents, cool parents, doing it. How do you know that the adults won't be taking them for a drive just down to the store after they've been drinking a little bit? And when they drive, do you know that those parents absolutely obey the speed limits? Jesus is Lord even in your car, by the way. How do you know that the place where your children are staying are going to observe those kind of rules? Do they smoke in the house? We don't want our children to be around second-hand smoke. Do, do, do they smoke in the house? Well, what are they watching on TV? Or what video game is being played by, by the friends that they're staying with? Uh, what kind of things are they going to watch in terms of movies on cable, R-rated movies or shows where God's name is taken in vain. Just how well do those parents with whom your children are staying monitor the things their kids are doing in the privacy of their room when your child is there? And by the way, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's hard when you say, you know, that's my room, you have no privacy, and you send them to somebody else's house. They say, well, he gets a room and his parents never come in without knocking. These are things that we have to think about. Our relatives are unbelieving relatives, and those relatives have kids, cousins, things like that. Won't they also be influencing your children by their behavior? It may not be popular to tell your kids, you know what, let's, let's just 
not worry about spending the night. Go over, have a good time. I'll be around for a while, then we'll come and get you. But God will be pleased. Let me close with some encouragement. Most importantly, talk with your kids about Jesus. Love Jesus. Live Jesus. Make sure your children know what God is doing in your life. And this is especially for dads. If you blow it, if you sin, repent. Let your kids know, you know, I lost my temper. That was a terrible thing to do. I misrepresented God. Will you please forgive me? Don't say, but I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't done this. Just say, you know, I blew it. I'm really sorry. Will you please forgive me? Let your kids know that you're real, that you sin, and that God forgives. Because when they sin, when they mess up, and they will, they need to know that God will eagerly receive them back. And they won't know that unless you live Jesus, unless you love Jesus. Be faithful stewards of your children and train them in the way they should go. Go to church as a family. Find areas where you can serve as a family. Encourage your kids to get involved in serving. Remember things like the choices of a church, the school they go to, whether or not they go into the children's ministry. Those are your decisions to make. Those decisions don't belong to your children. They're not able to make good decisions. Do what's best for your child, even if they happen to disagree. The maintenance of their time is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to get your kids to school on time. It's your responsibility, moms and dads, to be at work on time, to set an example. And if you live in a home that honors Jesus Christ, your kids can't help but catch it because it is a wonderful place for a child to grow up. I didn't. I regret it. And everyone in this room tonight doesn't have to experience that. No matter how long you've been doing things the wrong way, you can begin tonight supervising your child the way God supervises you. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. The eyes of a parent should range throughout your child's life. Controversial stuff, certainly anti-cultural stuff, but we have choices to make, don't we? God's stuff or worldly stuff. To whom do we belong? To whom do you and your children belong? Thank you for joining us for today's program in the parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and the Word to Stand On for Life. 